How's it going, everyone? This is Cody Ahern with the MLP Bimjo Podcast. We got our friend Jason Steele with us here today. Uh, Jason, you want to introduce yourself? Yeah. Hey, guys. Uh, this is Jason Steele, VDC Manager at MMC Contractors National out of Kansas City. So I have been with MMC now for about eight years, but overall kind of doing BIM for about the last 15, 16 years. And then, uh, but I've been, I'm a pipe fitter by trade. So I've been in the trade since 2000. So you did, uh, did you do AutoCAD when you first got into BIM? Yeah. So when I first started, um, we were, I actually kind of got started as working for a contractor and and I was out in the field as a welder and uh, I was teaching at our, at our training center, just a basic AutoCAD class. And, and I'd taken uh, a quick pin PD 3D class and uh, the you know, contractor I was working for found out that I was teaching and that maybe I knew a little bit about 3D and, and it was pretty new to everybody at the time. And uh, they had a need and asked me if I'd be interested in doing it. And so I kind of started small. We just took on like a, central utility plant and then everything else we still did 2d autocad and and then as we learned and grew and and uh i learned the software and started training others in the group and then we just developed and and yeah we were in in pipe designer for several years and then uh switched over to fabrication academy p or, or whatever it was called at the time uh probably about 2011 2012 and then uh we were in autocad um, I left there in 2014, came over to MMC. Um, we were still in, in AutoCAD and, and fabrication. And, and then uh, probably 2017 is when we made the leap into Revit and we've been there ever since. <clears throat> I seen about 2017 is when we were finally able to utilize fabrication inside of Revit. And that's when it was a total game changer. Man, I, I must be spoiled as long as I've been in the industry. We've had Navisworks. Yeah, that was that was uh, 2000 and I think 2006, 2007. They they bought us a license of of Jetstream, and uh, yeah, I was I was told that uh, we bought you this new software called Navisworks, and uh, we told the general contractor that you would lead coordination and have a class report for him next week. Oh man, yeah, it was it was pretty exciting when nobody's using the same insertion point. Uh, nobody's ever heard of it before. The, you know, the designers are unfamiliar with it, so they're they're in Revit at the time, and they have no idea that that there's a way for them to to give us the information. You know, we figured out that we could kick out a DWF, but it was coming out all skewed, and it was it was a mess. So we we worked through it, and uh, really never produced the deliverable on that particular project, but the next project uh, worked with the same general contractor, had a better idea, and, and then we, we jumped in with both feet and were pretty successful with it. I mean, I went to school at ITT Tech, got a degree in drafting when I was about 20. I always thought I was gonna do floor plans and houses and stuff, more of like an architectural dream, right? And then reality hit me like a year into the industry that that's not really feasible unless you're like an architect, you know? Doing houses is boring, doing 2D stuff got real boring real quick. And uh, I ended up here with Mike into this 3D world using fabrication and, and programs I never saw in school, right? 
So I, I had to teach myself a lot of the, the database stuff, fabrication stuff. And then when we switched to Revit, we had Kyle Anderson who, who taught us quite a bit, but, but same thing, you know, there's just a lot you have to teach yourself. And I find through training others and kind of my role in teaching and, and creating workflows that I learn a lot more that way than, than actually going to a class or listening to a teacher. I mean, could you relate to that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's I always tell everybody that I, I learned more teaching. Um, just different things that you just never knew were, you know, a lot of those books or the training material that were provided through the UA were, you know, they'd have little tips and tricks and things that I was like, oh, I didn't realize that. And you, and you notice that as you're going through the book and, and teaching your students, you know, when I first started teaching, you know, this was a lot of my friends that were a year behind me in the apprenticeship program. And so it was difficult. I was about six months ahead of them. And and so any leg up that I could get as I was going through that book was was valuable to me. And and so, you know, as, as I went through and, and taught at the training center and, and and then I as I started doing this for a career, um, I was able to quickly start identifying new talent. And and so I was pretty pretty lucky in the sense that I was able to kind of groom and handpick who I wanted and and bring them up through and then now you know here we are 15 16 years later and went from you know one guy one pipe fitter doing it to now there's I don't know what there is there's probably 25 or 30 in the local that are doing it maybe more um, and uh, but I've got I'm pretty fortunate that here you know I've got uh, three of the guys that are here working for me now are have taken over at the training center and, and they're doing a lot of stuff and they really built that program and they're teaching for the UA at the ITP stuff and it, it's awesome, you know, and, and still kind of having that pipeline that we've built. That's awesome. So it's like basically you've trained your replacements. And exactly. Then you can move on to bigger, better things. So you said you yeah. recruited a, a lot of those guys. You can tell fairly easily who, who's going to work out and who's not. I mean, what do you use to, to kind of gauge that? Yeah, I mean, I I think so. I, I feel like I'm a pretty good judge of people, for one, but I, I really think that you can get a pretty good idea pretty quick of those who are going to be successful in an office environment because, you know, it's, it's not for everybody. And and a lot of people that get in the trades don't get into the trades to, to set in an office environment and, and do this type of work. And, of course, when, when I got in the trade, obviously, I didn't have that in mind because this wasn't an opportunity for us. And I think now we're starting to see some of the younger younger generation that are coming in that identified that this is an opportunity, but we need to get those guys trained and they need to understand systems and basic piping practices and, and everything there. So yeah, I mean, I think that when you're teaching, you can, you can really start to gauge and feel, get a feel for, you know, how is, just by how somebody handles themselves during the course of a class, um, you kind of, you kind of, think about them being in a situation where they're speaking to a your project team or an engineer, architect, or a general contractor, or even an owner, um, and how they're gonna carry themselves. And and really what, what we try to find um, is is those are those guys that are, you know, they're forming material. They're guys that we want out running our jobs. And, and that's been the real power struggle with internally with, with MMC is just, you know, we're training these apprentices and we're, we're training them with the intent of them going out and being some of our top superintendents and general foremen. And and when they kind of take that turn and they're like, hey, I, I kind of want to give VDC a, a chance, then we got to have some tough conversations and there's a little bit of heartburn there. But um, 
I, I think that you can identify those people and and like I say, you know, we we teach uh, a, a Revit one class at our training center. We're starting to implement a, a Revit two class. We're starting to do some other things with with Stratus and some other things that are other tools that are out there. And, and so, um, yeah, just how do these people carry themselves in a classroom environment? And then how would that translate into an office setting? Our VDC modelers do come from the trades. Um, and so having that that piping knowledge is, is valuable to us. But I'm going to tell you that, you know, some of our best people did not come from the trades. They, they kind of had a similar background to you or had went to a four year for a construction management degree and just kind of this is the path that they went down. And 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 so learning from each other is is definitely, um, you know, a value there. But, um, you know, yes, the learning the software is, um, you know, I like to hire people that that know the software. If I'm going to hire somebody out of out of a technical school or a college, then they they better have superior um, software knowledge versus the guys that I bring in from the field. You know, they've got that 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 trade knowledge that's making them valuable to us. So then they start learning from each other, and then you know the really good ones are the the guys that um, can just pick up the other side of that really quickly and and we've been pretty fortunate to have some of those people um, that that uh, have been able to pick up whether it's the the software side or the the trade knowledge side pretty quickly yeah that's definitely a good point you definitely don't want to have to teach them both right and, yeah um, it, it's definitely a challenge you know I mean we've got I think there's 27 in our group now and and uh, we've kind of hit that wall where um, who, who's out there to go get is, do we start taking some chances on some younger people that are less experienced? Um, yeah, we, we get the, some of the guys who have kind of done their time in the field and, and are looking for a little bit of a more cushy job. But I, I think once they sit down in the chair and start doing it daily on a daily basis, they realize it's not as, as easy as, as they thought it was going to be. It's, you know, it's maybe a little bit, it's physically easier, but mentally it's draining. And um, I think anybody can see that after you spend a week sitting in the chair doing it and um, you, you see that pretty quick, but it, it's definitely a challenge. You know, one of the things that, that we do, um, I always tell everybody that I want the best people in the country working for us. And unfortunately they don't all live in Kansas city. So I go out abroad and, and try to find um, find those individuals. A lot of it's by word of mouth, and and try to find those people, and then you know try to convince them that MMCs were they should work at and be a part of this team. And and uh, it's it's definitely a challenge though. So those people end up relocating to work for MMC, or do you have some remote VDC guys? Yeah. So we we have some remote guys um, spread out throughout the country. Um, the, the majority of our group is is internal in-house here and our Kansas City guys, um, but we do have a handful that are spread out throughout the country, work from home. Talking about all the great awards that MMC has received uh, for being one of the top mechanical firms and best places to work, why do you think that is? Well, you know, I, I feel like um, we have a good family atmosphere at MMC. Um, it's one of the things that drew me over here uh, initially and and you know there's and then obviously with growth um, it, it that becomes challenging you know and, and just trying to keep that 
that that family atmosphere and i think that mmc has done a really good job with that and and um being able to have that that large quick growth and and still kind of keep that uh, family first in mind and and you don't feel like you're a number and and i think that everybody's voice counts and that's that's been one of the most important things to me is is you know from the time that i walked in the door here and didn't know anybody and and you know was a nobody that i felt like my voice mattered and 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 still true today even though you know when when i came over here eight years ago we were probably a you know i don't know what we were doing 80 or 100 million dollars a year and today we're you know we're an over 300 million dollar a year company and um you know obviously there's growing pains but i still feel like we still have that that family first and family atmosphere and that's i think that's what makes us so successful yeah that's really important i mean that's definitely a, a quality that i think might get mlps implemented from day one and you don't see a lot of companies that that allow their employees to put their family first and when you do that it it definitely makes people want to stay there and want to work there and want to work for you which which goes a long way yeah i think that that kind of answered my other question was um, you know how you keep your team happy I'm, I'm assuming that a lot of that just kind of goes along those same lines you know being there for them listening to them being proactive and, and treating them like a human basically you know with respect absolutely you know and obviously i mean i, I think anybody can attest that you know trying to trying to do things today the way you did it three years ago is definitely challenging and trying to keep your employees happy today is different than it was three years ago because you know everybody got a taste of working from home and working remote and and then you know so trying to still try to balance that flexibility of trying to give them um, the ability to do that if needed um, that, that's been my biggest challenge and and trying to make sure that everybody's needs are met. You know, we still feel like it's important that, you know, for for communication and 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 trying to keep everything on track that we are still having those face-to-face interactions. But you know, we, we obviously, the way that our departments worked is, you know, we're, we're essentially virtual anyway. We're working all over the country. We're a national contractor. So, you know, we could be working in Maine or in Phoenix and, and the crews, spread throughout and that's just how it's always been so for us it was a little bit less of a of a transition than maybe it was for our operations team or estimating who wasn't you know as familiar with with working in that type of environment but that's that's really to kind of get back to the to the question is it's it's trying to hear them out trying to make sure that they're heard and that they they have a voice and and uh, that we're not just trying to make decisions internally without you know including everybody and, and i think that we do a pretty good job of that and and probably probably not as good as as i think we do but um but i think i think if you pulled the overall company that that may not be the the general consensus but i, I feel like we try to as our our leadership team we try to do a good job of of putting our people first and making sure that their voices are all heard and and i, and I think with that i think you you have happier employees Oh, 100%. There's nothing worse than feeling like nobody wants to hear what you have to say. Yeah, and, um, and I will also say that, you know, MMC is a, is an ESOP corporation. So, you know, um, it's employee-owned 100%. You know, obviously, the CBA guys are, are not part of that. But those who are not part of a collective bargaining agreement are 
our part employee owners and so i think there's there's something there as well that you know they they have a a, a stake in it and i think that also um helps our our company and our culture and 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 really makes people feel like um, it's a good place to work yeah i've seen that with, with some other uh, employee-owned companies out here in the valley um, i guess when you when you own a stock in that company obviously it doing well benefits you directly yeah. as well so yeah we i, I think we do a, a really good job of of including everybody and in, in, you know we're starting to kind of get back to what we once were as far as our our interaction and, and social gatherings and, and things like that that we weren't able to do for a few years there a couple years anyway and and so one of those things is with our our esop and our our you know our sh our share price reveal and and all that they really try to they they do a different theme every year and and they try to get everybody in and and they broadcast it and so that those who can't be here are you know part of it and and so, you know, one year they, they set the whole thing up like it was a sports center and our CEO, mm. CFO and everybody's up there. And then they've got some of the people, some of the other people in the, in our corporate office are kind of walking around and interviewing people in the crowd, just trying to keep that, that, uh, that company interaction, just try to make it fun. And, you know, and, and that whole month leading up to that, we, they, they call it the ESOP month. And, and we're always doing things, whether we're having a, a Papa shock or tournament or a, We've had a cornhole tournament. We've, we've done several things that uh, over the years that I've been here, they, they one year they did a, a costume skit contest. And and so it's it's fun. It, it keeps everybody on their feet and having a good time. That sounds good. So if we plan an MLP costume event, are you going to come out? Absolutely. Why Compete? not? All right. <laughs> Sweet. When uh, I guess last couple of questions, when choosing a, a BIM company to outsource to, if you ever do, and when you do, what what do you look for in those companies? So you know, this is something that I really, um, in the past, um, I really took a hard look at, and and so there's there's a couple things. So um, I. I I like to go after a, a, a company that's obviously domestic. First and foremost, we just don't do any offshore um, outsourcing at all. Just we've had bad luck in the past. We just we don't do that. Um, so then I, I try to look at, at UA members or, or smart or, or you know whatever, depending on what the need is. Because we're a we're a plumbing and piping shop. We don't do sheet metal. Um, so. If, if we need um, resources, obviously that's how we found MLP was um, we wanted a we wanted a union quality detailing company to outsource to. We needed some sheet metal help, and that's how we found MLP. So um, in the past, you know, I've I would go and jump on a plane and go visit uh, a company and sit in their office and see how they operate and meet with them and, and talk to them and, and try to get a, a feel for their people and who was who I was going to be working with and and just try to talk through all that stuff and um, you know the past couple of years has not allowed us to do as much of that but I haven't needed to you know it's we've, we've got a big enough group that we pretty much can handle anything that we need on the piping side internally um, we just needed some help on the sheet metal side and now you know MLP has been working with us and Eric we've been with Eric now for gosh, probably three years. He's been working with us on a couple different projects. So, um, 
but I'll be honest, as far as a, if, if and when we do need additional piping help, that presents some challenges for us. And it, and it's more about um, just our deliverables and our standards and what our shop is expecting and, and just trying to have the time to bring someone up to speed to know what our expectations are. Obviously, when when you're a, a, an outsourced company, you're trying to be as, as efficient as you can for the contractor that you're working for. So um, sometimes you're, you know, you're not wanting to, you know, milk it out, but sometimes it, it takes that, to, you need to know what it's gonna take to work this blend in with that crew because that's typically what we do we don't we don't fully outsource a project we just try to have a blended crew and to supplement what we need and to try to find uh those those piping guys that we can just blend into our crew and it's just it's just going to take time it's just going to you have to have somebody that's worked with you and understands how mmc does things and um but that's that's definitely the challenge for us but on the on the sheet metal side you know mlp has been awesome and been a a valuable partner for us well that's that's great to hear i mean yeah eric's eric's awesome people he's, he's been doing this stuff for forever i mean i think he's been working with you as long as i, I can remember so yeah yeah, yeah i love working with eric you know that but, that was kind of a crazy that was kind of a crazy deal I and mean, you mentioned kyle anderson earlier you know we we had uh we bid a job in phoenix and and were awarded the project and and we're teamed with a local sheet metal contractor down there and and that's how I met Kyle. I went to a, a kickoff meeting down there, and and they were they were using MLP, and, and Kyle was who showed up at the meeting, and and um, so we we kind of just had some conversations and didn't know too much about MLP at the time, and and then uh, one of our pre-construction managers came to me about six months later and and said, uh, you know, can you guys draw sheet metal? And I said, no, that's that's not what we do, um, and so. He's like, well, do you know anybody that can? And I said, I'll be honest with you. I said, I, I know of a company. I don't, I know very little about them. I haven't had a chance to really vet them out, but you know, here's, I've got a name and we can reach out to them and, and see what we can come up with. And so I had Kyle's information and, and so I emailed Kyle and I think Mike called me back and we visited for a little bit and then got me in touch with Eric and, and kind of the rest was history. And, and that was, that was a project we were doing in Atlanta and, and, you know, having Eric on board at that point in time before we had um, signed a, a sheet metal contractor and having Eric's expertise and to kind of go through. And then um, at, at that time with the sheet metal contractor that we selected in Atlanta was was a fabrication customer. They were still in, in AutoCAD and that they were looking to transition to Revit. And, and so um, Eric and Kyle, I think, kind of helped train those guys and get them up to speed and spend as much time as they needed to and kind of handed over the project to them and you know we didn't skip a beat and uh, kind of had a similar situation on another project in, in south central missouri that eric stepped in and and we thought we were going to have a similar situation and it turned out that the the contractor just didn't have the the resources to to take that whole project on and it was just determined early on that it made sense for mlp just to do the the whole scope of work for them and so it's it's been it's been pretty successful for us yeah kyle anderson man he's a legend he uh he's really good at what he does he's, he's always been good at it i think he graduated top of his class through the apprenticeship 
The dude burnt himself out though, man. It's kind of heartbreaking. He's not even in BIM anymore. So the, the industry lost a good dude because he worked himself to death, man. I'd love to have him back, but yeah, yeah right now, I don't know where, I think he's doing, working at a grocery store or something. So, but I do, do miss him. It's, it's good to hear good things about him. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, I, I'd love to have you back and do another topic on, on blending BIM or something like that, because some of those points you you'd brought up about the reason you don't hire uh, or outsource piping plumbing, you know, obviously you have your own workflows, you have your own standards, you have the way you do your sheets, the way you do your shops, the way you model your content, the certain types of fittings you use, and probably 10 other things I didn't say. Sure. And, and for us as a, as a subcontractor that works for multiple subcontractors just doing BIM, it's such a struggle to have to conform to everybody's different standards, right? Especially when you got new guys, because you're like, okay. So they're starting to think that MMC standard on this project is the way we're supposed to do it on all projects. But no, now you're working for Harris, but they want to do it this way. No, now you're on a K-Corp job, so you got to do it this way. So- Absolutely. I know there's, there's difficult, it's gotta be difficult. So my struggle is like, in my position, I feel like I should be the one creating standards, but I can't create standards when our standards are like conforming to everyone we work for, right? It's very rare that we have a project where the company's like, just do it your way. I, and, I, think, I think for us, I think the most important thing is when we're looking at a, at a outsourcing the piping is obviously code knowledge, local code knowledge. So whether it's IPC, UPC and, and, and having somebody come in and if they're, if they're asked to do the pump, the plumbing scope and, and ask those questions and really dig in just like, you know, whether they were working for MLP or they're working for ML or MMC, dig in and, and own it and then, you know, put forth the quality and, and just kind of follow through. And because that's, that's the big thing that we even see internally, especially since we've, we've kind of transitioned to the Stratus workflow through the shop is, you know, our models have to be perfect. There is no more, you know, fudge and spool sheets and all the stuff that we were able to get away with before, you know, we're publishing our model straight from Revit to Stratus and then the shop's taking it from there and, and doing everything. And if, if we forget to go through and, and, you know, I say optimize links, but not really optimize links, go back and check all of our links and check all of our connect or connectivity and, and all that you know, they ding us on it. So we, it's just that quality and it's the stuff that we struggle with internally. So we've built some, we built some tools through internal development to kind of help with some of that stuff. But that's really the main thing is just the, the local code knowledge and, and the quality of, of what goes into the product. Definitely. And uh, I heard you guys have some pretty good barbecue out there in, in KC. Is that true? Well, we do, but I don't, Mike and Eric would not be good ones to judge because when we, Rather than uh, taking our uh, our local knowledge, they decided to go out and get whatever they wanted to. So they they both got the lamb chops when they were here. And I'm not saying the lab, lamb chops were not good, but um, I don't know of anybody that's ever eaten the lamb chops here. So, um, but yeah, we do have some excellent barbecue joints. And and uh, you know, I used to be a the barbecue snob, but once once I started traveling quite a bit and and have an opportunity to try different stuff from around the country. You know, a lot of people have have their own unique spin on it. And, and uh, but yeah, we uh, we feel like we do it pretty good here. And, and uh, so, yeah, if you're ever up this way, you have to check it out. Oh, definitely. I mean, this summer, I plan on spending a lot of time outside. I don't have a smoker yet, though. Which one would you recommend? Well, you so know, many I, out there now. 
Yeah, I mean, I, you know, Michael and I were talking about it a few weeks ago when he was here, and you know, for me, I'm just a backyard griller, and and I, I wouldn't by, by any means call myself an expert, but I, you know, I go with the Traeger pellet smoker. But I think anybody that's a a true pit master or considers herself a a, a true uh, a barbecue aficionado would would probably laugh at me, but. I think that's what a lot of the backyard grillers they get into the Traeger smokers. They're just easy. They're consistent. They're they're uh, that's that's typically what what most of the guys around here do. And you know you can throw a brisket or some ribs or anything on there and uh, you know walk away from it and you're not having to sit there and and manage the wood and the time and and all that like you would with the uh, true wood smoke and doing it the right way. Yeah, I've definitely seen it. I know my. My mom's boyfriend got one a few years ago, and every year now we get smoked ham, and smoked turkey, and smoked tri-tip. It, it's it's always heavenly. So, oh, yeah. I mean, if you're throwing a piece of meat on for for Sunday, what, what's going on your your smoker? Um, I typically, you know, I like to throw a brisket on. Um, you know, and and I again, I think we do pretty good brisket here, but you know, I I try different recipes, and I don't have a one in particular, but. You know, I, I try to do it, you know, I just did one a couple of weeks ago and I did a Texas style and, um, you know, every once in a while, we'll, you know, we can do, you can break it off and do your, you know, break the point off and do burn ins. And, you know, so that's, that's kind of my favorite go-to, but, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, you know, sometimes we'll throw a whole chicken on there and let that go for a couple hours. You know, at Thanksgiving, we'll put a turkey breast on there. That's kind of became a favorite around my house is, doing a, a turkey breast on the Traeger and uh, so it's just just kind of whatever we're in the mood for but that the Traeger sure does make it easy. Good thing it's almost lunchtime because I am hungry now. <laughs> <laughs> well sweet uh, I'm definitely gonna have to go check out some smokers I, I definitely need to get one I feel like I'm behind the curve on that everyone else is doing it and I'm not feeling very hip so yeah definitely easy to do. You know if Eric ever got his smoker? I know he was looking for a while. I don't know if he did or not. I'll have to check in on that. Well, Mike, I think uh, I think we're going to wrap up this binge and barbecue podcast with Jason Steele and Cody Ahern. I appreciate you guys' time. Hope you have a wonderful week. Thanks, Cody. Thanks, Mike.